Before you dive into this exciting episode, I'd like to let you know about the Squash Playbook, your tactical blueprint for success. The playbook is written based on the most common solutions I have given to the people I coach over the last 20 years. It is the ultimate how-to guide for any squash fan, and you can grab a free copy right away by visiting squashplaybook.com or clicking on the link in the show notes. Are you freaked out by that hard-hitting hacker? Frustrated with running out of ideas against the relentless retriever? Want to close out matches more clinically when in the lead? Or do you need some mental tools to overcome bad calls by referees? These answers plus many more have been brought together all in one place for the squash community. The Squash Playbook is a practical toolkit that breaks down over 40 scenarios that are most commonly faced on the court. Each scenario provides the psychology and the strategy needed to get a positive result. Each chapter wraps up with the top six key points to keep things simple and practical. The aim of the book is to transform reactive players into proactive tacticians. I focus on breaking down complex situations into straightforward, effective strategies for those high pressure moments in a match. So why not grab your copy now and step onto the court next time with a clear head and a set of strategies to win those matches you know you're capable of. Please enjoy the show. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So I hope you enjoyed that first part of my chat between myself and Amanda Sobey. As you can see, there was quite a lot of emotion there, talking about her father and her upbringing and how this didn't have necessarily a positive effect on her mental health and I think some really, really powerful messages. So once again, massively grateful that we can have this platform to talk on and if it reaches a few people and it makes a positive impact, for me, that is that is our job done. So hopefully there was something good that you were able to extract out of that. And in part two, we take a bit of a deeper dive into some of the nitty gritty around her game. Stuff like visualizations, what her inner voice is like, how she speaks to herself leading up to a tournament, what she does in, in once the tournament begins and she's actually in the tournament itself. We also take a look at how she mentally coped with that massive injury she got rupturing her Achilles at the time in her career when she was at her best, at her highest world ranking and really starting to do some amazing things in the game. To be able to have such a massive injury and to be able to be laid off for so long and come back as strong and as positive as she has done is absolutely brilliant. And once again, she's just super open, super honest, wears her heart on her sleeve. And it's just great to have this platform to speak about 
with players like this that just completely open up and talk about the mental side of the game, both the positives and things that she does well and things that she puts in place to try and make herself mentally stronger, but to also show vulnerabilities and show authenticity because, you know, sitting here and, and seeing these amazing athletes competing right at the top of the game, sometimes we think they're superhuman and they're wired differently and they've got these superpowers that maybe the mere mortals aren't able to access but that's what I think got highlighted with this conversation with Amanda was the vulnerabilities, that authenticity, that idea that we are all human and we've got to we've got to work on our mind both, yes, for the com- competition side and competing, but equally so, how much attention are we paying to our mind and our mindset and our mental health away from the courts and what does this look like for each individual person? So I hope you enjoyed the second part of my chat with Amanda Sobey. So this might be a little bit linked into Mike Way and your time at Harvard. I'm really curious about visualizations. Do you have this as part of your mental toolkit? Yeah, um, I think that I can definitely improve on it. It's something that I'm working on, and but I need to make it more of a habit for me. Um, Mike Way was big on that, and we would always do a lot of visualization before big matches or anything. Um, I get into visualization, I would say probably the like two and a half weeks before tournaments is that that's when my like brain's like, all right, you have a tournament coming up, like let's visualize now. Um, whereas I think sometimes maybe I can incorporate it a little bit more during those mm. down times when I don't really have tournaments just to almost to make it more believable for me. Um, and I think that's the power of visualization is that you you see it, um, you see the good, you see yourself like holding the trophy, but like you see yourself in situations too, where like things might not be so good and you have to find your way out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see yourself overcoming obstacles. You see yourself winning. You see yourself putting in that perfect drop shot when it is 10, nine in the fifth. Um, yeah. and that feeds into your subconscious. And I think then when you do get into those situations, you've been there before um, mentally. So you know how to react. A big part of of what I'm investigating now with visualizations, and and this is where I don't think I was taught that well. When I was a player, I was told, go and do these. But so many of them were were very positive visualizations. And it was all about the the end result and positive, perfect environment. But squash is just a game of chaos. When you get on there, there's so many variables and there's a huge body of evidence starting to look at this idea of negative visualization. So the problem and then the solution. And that's becoming really powerful. But if you reflect back to, to some of your time with, with Mike, can you pinpoint some of the visualizations that you felt were really effective and that 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 led into the performances? Any, anything come to mind there? Um, gosh, that was that's a long time ago. <laughs> or maybe oh. more modern ones or more ones that you also do now where you feel actually the effectiveness is spilling over into my performance. Yeah, I think I love to kind of just almost when I do in the middle of the day um, in between sessions or something and just take like 10 minutes to like close my eyes and then envision myself playing um, the tournament that's coming up um, and see the court, see the atmosphere, see the crowd. Um, And I did this a lot with the tournament of champions that was in New York because that atmosphere is huge and because I am 
a home player that created a lot of nerves, like positive, but also just like anxiety a little bit too. And so I, I would really visualize that atmosphere and just having the crowd like very much for me. Um, and that helped, Mike helped me a ton during that when I was in school, cause I would still be able to play the TOC. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was, a lot of the players on the team would visualize matches. Um, this, my college matches weren't as nearly as tough as say like my, my teammates and everything. I would kind of visualize a little bit more of like, let's make sure like, don't lose a game, that kind of stuff, like winning, yeah, winning 3-0 and that different kind of pressure um, and kind of handling that pressure of, okay, you can't lose a game, you can't Mm -hmm. lose a match ever. Um, And he helped me about the acceptance of that instead of being so fearful of like, oh my God, I can't, I can't lose. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, whenever I play that competitor who basically has nothing to lose against me, everybody I played in college had nothing to lose against me. They would go in and be like, okay, let's see how many points I can get against Amanda or like, let's see if I can get a game. And so they'd play their best squash. Whereas for me, I'm like, I can't, I can't lose a game. No one, everyone expects me. I have to win three. Oh, I have to win three. Oh, I have to win three. Oh. So that created like pressure. Um, and it was like totally contrasting mm-hmm. and, Mike helped me a lot of reframing that sort of outlook. And it's like, when I step on court with these players, it's almost as if I'm like, okay, you want to like play with the big dogs? Like come at me. Like I'm all for it. Like I'll show you what it's like to play at that higher level and to really accept it and enjoy it and say like, bring it on. Like I'm going to show, if you want to get a game off of me, like I'm going to make it really hard for you. That's so cool. Uh, it's really great. And yeah, it's like a very wise man. And whenever I've heard his stuff, it's brilliant. And I'm, I'm working hard to get him on, on this on this platform. I'm actually interviewing his brother quite soon, Ken Wad. And if you come across him, he wrote yeah. quite a psychology books as well. But starting with Ken, and I'll get to Mike soon. But um, you've mentioned this a few times, and I've heard players that Mike works with talk about that word acceptance. And, and I'm a big believer in it. I love it. I love the concept. What does acceptance mean to you? How could you define it? And what what it is it? Yeah, what is it part of you? Um. I think if you acceptance, I guess it's like bringing something into your, like, if you're like a, a shielded bubble and if it's bringing something into your, into your bubble, okay. um, instead of having it like bounce off of it or penetrate it and you like, don't want it to break into your force field. Um, and it's almost allowing it to come in and you sit with it and you acknowledge that it's there and sit with it and figure out a way to then deal with it. That's such a cool description. I've not heard that version before. That that's I, I literally I'm visualizing it in my head <laughs> and I'm trying to explain how I picture it in my head. No, you've done a perfect job. I think I think <laughs> I'll actually, um, steal a bit of that and kind of like put it across because I, I've been not struggling, but but trying to yeah define acceptance and what it is. And I was lucky enough to interview someone uh, previously called Simon Mundy, and, and he's he suffered a bit with you know depression and anxiety in that, and he started using this little sentence, and I think it links to what we're saying here. I'm having the thought that dot, dot, dot. So he would always insert that little sentence before he reacted on it. So this thought was coming in and, and, and whatever it was, there could have been a horrible environment in front of him, but 
he bought it in. He said, right, welcome in thoughts. Come, come get comfortable. Come, I'm going to sit with you for a little bit. And he said it took away its power. I think that was, would you say that's similar to where you think of acceptance? hundred percent. So I started um, working with a um, therapist in June when I was dealing with my personal issues. And she helped me a ton with those kind of thoughts and acceptance and just um, anxiety and all of that. And so when I would meditate, I would almost think of having that little like force field or um, like I, I like to think of it as like, I don't know if you've seen Black Panther, but the like Wakanda yeah. bubble, yeah. Um, that force field. <laughs> and so I would just have the, the negative thoughts that I didn't want to penetrate my Wakanda bubble to yeah. bounce, bounce off and deflect. Yeah. Um, and the thoughts that I wanted to accept and sit with, I would allow in, and then I would I would sit with it, mm. um, and it would take away the power because I'm choosing to have it come into my um, safe haven bubble. So that's interesting. So would you try? Obviously, negative thoughts we obviously don't want them, but but you saying you deflected the negative thoughts, or did you actually let them come in at times and actually take their power away? What, what's your thoughts on that? I would do both a little bit. Sometimes I would just not be in a place where I wanted to deal with it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would almost have it like bounce off of my force field bubble. And I'd be like, nope, you're not coming in today. Cool. And other times I would allow it to come in and I would then strip it of its power and almost refute it and say, okay, well, this is like, you know, I'd have in my brain just think, okay, this is actually isn't true. Um, and then it would almost just like fizzle away. Yeah. Yeah. It's that idea of almost like taking a step back and seeing the bigger picture, you know, the, the zoomed out effect when if, if, if you were to, what's that, what I heard, if, if you were to give advice to a good friend on that same subject, that's sometimes the best way to turn the mirror back on yourself. Yeah. And, you know, it's another little trick to maybe use with that, that, mm -hmm. the, those things coming in. Um, but you, you just mentioned this, but, but I want to maybe look at it a bit more. Um, I was going to ask how you prepare yourself mentally for tournaments, say one week out, two weeks out. And then the second part of the question, what happens once the event begins? What, what happens mentally? So can you expand on that, please? Yeah. Um, I guess the, two weeks, the couple weeks out from a tournament. Um, for me, I find when my kind of life outside of the court is going well, and I'm in a good place, that reflects onto my squash and my squash then becomes in a good place. Nice. Um, and that's when I can really thrive as a as a player. So I, I make sure that I have that the couple weeks out, like, you know, I'm, I'm checking the box of the confidence that I have in my game. Like I'm making sure that I put the work in. So when I do get to a tournament, mentally, I'm not having any doubts. I know that I'm going in there confident. I put the work in. My body feels healthy. Like having my body kind of feel healthy is a huge one because there's nothing worse than going to a tournament and you have a little niggle and then that's just in your mind the whole time. And now you're like not that confident about going in for a lunge or like being able to really like run around all the time. Um, so having, knowing that I put the work in, my body feels healthy. Like, you know, I I'm feeling fit. Like my shots, my squash feels good. Um, my game's in a good place. And then I can bring that onto the squash court and there isn't any of those lingering doubts. Um, 
and then I'll do um, visualization the couple of weeks before really to visualize the setting of the, the court, the tournament, like n- knowing to that, like mentally preparing for the PSA, like the isolation bubble. That's something now I have to mentally prepare for knowing that like, Hey, I'm not going to be able to really practice as much a couple of days before I get to play. And having that acceptance that like, you know, okay, maybe I won't get those like good sharp fitness sessions in or like squash sessions in before the tournament when I'm in the bubble. But that doesn't mean that I have lost all of my fitness. It might just mean that the like first couple rallies, I'm going to be feeling it in my lungs a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's now getting into that mind frame and mindset of what my tournament's going to be like. And then once I am in the tournament, I love to just almost be very present and I listen to my body on what it needs. Like I no longer focus on any form of routine or schedule. I hate making like, sometimes we used to like friends and I would make plans for dinners and stuff or lunches. I hate doing that because I, I don't know what my body needs at that time. And that might mean I need to like go back to my room and just watch a movie and be by myself. And most of the time I, I do like to just kind of conserve my energy. Um, You know, I love like so many of my friends are on tour, but this isn't a time to hang out and play. This is work. And so I need to do what's best for myself. Love that. So, so would you say you're, you're, you're quite, you're much more flexible and adaptable once that tournament begins, like you said, you're present, you listen to yourself and yeah, you, you find those ways that are going to be impactful in that moment. You, You let it wash over you, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. I take things very much, um, in the moment. Um, and you know, I don't follow any sort of structure or routine apart from really, uh, I guess the routine of just like, you know, you hit in the morning, do mm-hmm. it feels good, but, and then you have your match in the afternoon. And I have, I have certain set things that I really need to, that I love to do. And it's like my pre-match meal never changes. Okay. Um, what yeah, is that? Like, me a lot of interest. I'm I'm like a five year old. It's a peanut butter banana honey sandwich. What? <laughs> That's amazing. Where where's that come from? Um. So I um. In terms of like nutrition for tournaments, I really don't like to eat big meals before a match. I like to kind of be more on the emptier side, but it's a fine line because if you're too empty, you're gonna bonk out. Mm-hmm. And you need the carbohydrates in tournaments, which is another whole thing of just like the mentality and mindset of like nutrition between like training and in tournaments too. And having the acceptance that like, you're going to be eating a lot more carbohydrates in tournaments. So you might not actually like feel that good physically about your body and stuff. And I, and like, you may not look as lean as you want, but this is for performance and those carbohydrates are going to help you when you're in the fifth game. And like, you need to push through and you need the energy. Mm. So it's funny. Like my diet is probably the worst in tournaments. Um, wow. I've never even thought about that, but yeah, that's a whole mindset shift that you have to, again, acceptance and yeah, it's, it's really yeah. interesting. And that. I eat a lot. Like what does my body need? What's going to make me happy? Um, I'm not like gorging out on like desserts the whole time and fried foods, but it's like, you know, I'll have that bowl of pasta. Um, and I'll have 
um, a few more bread rolls than normal and I'll eat a bit more carbohydrates and I'll have like a lot of dried fruit and oatmeal and just more on the carbohydrate side. Whereas when I'm not kind of, when I'm in training, I'll have, it will be a lot more like greens and like a bit more of balance side. Whereas here it's just, you know, I need, my body needs more carbohydrates and like, I don't want to be eating so, so, so much where the point that I'm just so full. So I'll focus more on like, okay, this is what my body needs in order to perform. Mm -hmm. And that's good enough. And that's what makes me happy. Like if I want a bar of chocolate, like I'm going to do that. It's not going to, it's not going to slow me down. I guarantee it won't slow me down in my match. Yeah. <laughs> As you're saying that there, it just remind me of what you said earlier about Mike Way and going to Harvard, where actually if you take two days off, you're not a worse squash player. Yeah. You might have a few small percentage off at the beginning, but you know what? You're happier. You're in a better place. Your body's better. That's a way better trade-off to be 1% less sharp at the beginning of a match, but be 60% better mentally, would you say? Yeah, hundred percent. And this is what Mike always instilled in us at Harvard. He was like, a happy athlete is a good athlete. And I, and I fully believe that. Like when I'm happy um, in life, that reflects with my squash. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I'm kind of miserable, it reflects in my squash too. Yeah. Yeah. It links back to that character trait we said. Uh, so I've, I've become really curious on, on inner voice, the language we speak to ourselves, what's happening inside that mind. What's your inner voice like when you're competing? What, what, what's going on there? Can, can you expand on that? <laughs> yeah, it, it changes. It changes depending on like what I need in each tournament. Um, and it, it is tough because I have to, I've been trying to find like, what is that mindset that gets me to that place? And for me, um, like when I get dialed in, like, what do I need to say to myself to get dialed in? Mm -hmm. Um and what's kind of the persona I need on court to get me into that place where I'm kind of like rampant and like on a mission. Um, <laughs> so it's, it has varied. Like sometimes I tell myself like be relentless. I've had that in tournaments where I've had success and it, it varies. I don't have one thing um, for that. I say to myself like all the time in tournaments, but it, it is generally around the same like mindset of being almost having that relentless mindset and kind of having that confident mindset. Um, am I, am I allowed to um, drop a curse on, on the podcast? Okay. Cause my, so my mindset in um, black ball in December was um, be that bitch. Right? <laughs> oh, that's, that's pretty specific. <laughs> yeah. So actually like, I didn't even come up with it. It was, um, I was talking to Aiden Harrison, who's who I've worked with in the past and he's, um, a huge support system for me and he's helped me in tournaments that I've done well. in. and so I love just kind of talking to him because he knows me so well as a person. Cool. And so he messaged me in, in black ball and that first round like I was struggling a little bit with nerves and confidence I was playing um my U.S. teammate and I had just come that was the first match after like having terrible results so I was like a little nervous and after that he just he just texted me he's like all right like come on you gotta be be that bitch like you just gotta be that bitch and I was like I really like that <laughs> I was like I'm gonna use that and so that's what I would just tell myself and that would just kind of like laser focus me in Nice. 
I love that. Yeah. And, and how it's going to it's going to evolve and change in the future again, isn't it? it it's it's but but it maybe links to the idea of of you know your. Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Self well, you're cultivating more awareness. Your journaling, your mindfulness, your presence. I think all of those things fold into it because as soon as you know yourself better, you can find those things that direct you. But what what does relentless mean to you? Can you can you define that a bit more specific? Because you've used that word, and that's I'm not saying it's one in the future. What does that mean to Amanda? Yeah, relentless is it is having that mindset like I'm on a mission, you know whatever's in my path, like I, it's not going to stop me. And I'm just on a mission to my destination and to like what I want to achieve. And regardless of the obstacles that are in the way, like I am going, Mm -hmm. I am going. And if you're in my way, like watch out. (laughs) Wrecking ball coming through here. Okay. Does does that sometimes spill over? Because obviously that that's a lot of arousal. You're arousing yourself and pulling yourself up. Have you found that there's sometimes a negative side to that every so often or what, what's your thoughts on that? Sometimes. So sometimes I'll get too amped up and I'll get like, and I'll almost burn too much energy mm. on court where I have that mindset and I, I then need to like rein it back a little bit. And that's when the whole mindfulness like um, comes in too and staying present and it's like, okay, let's slow things down a little bit, you know, take a deep breath. Um, and people say that I walk really slowly to the service box. Like, <laughs> like I take my sweet time walking to the service box, but that's my way of like taking a little bit more time to myself, um, just to regroup, um, refocus, reset, and dial back in again um, mm. to make sure that I'm kind of in that nice, happy spot, that sweet spot that I want to be in. Really cool. Oh, that's some great advice there. So what are your coping mechanisms you try and use when you feel nerves kick in, but those nerves may impact your performance? Have you found anything that's pretty good with that of late or in the past? Um, I've, I've definitely struggled with this. I get into like almost deer in headlights mode or anxiety. Um, I've breathing has helped a ton um just focusing on my breath and it's easier said than done it's really it's pretty hard to do but i'll just kind of take like a a deep breath in and really focus on the exhale and just kind of releasing the whole exhale longer than the inhale and 
it lowers my heart rate a bit more. And when I really focus on, I forget about like what's happening outside or anything else. And all I'm doing is focusing on like those 10 seconds of like breathing. And, And I'll do that a few rounds and that will just calm everything a couple notches. Yeah, it feels like that there's a lot of um, effort and science being put into to breathing and, and physiologically what it does to you and actually how it actually, yes, it helps, you know, the mind, but actually what it's actually doing to you physically. And I, yeah, I'm so keen to research and it sounds like it's been good for you. Have you, have you looked at, um, I've looked at it, but not done it, but Wim Hof method of oh, breathing? Yeah. Right. I, yeah, I have the app, so I, I've been doing that a bit. Um, I'm definitely going to be doing that a lot in mm-hmm. like, um, in the isolation bubble because that's, yeah time consuming and it gives me something to work on and I have a lot of time on my own there in the bubble yeah, but, yeah. Um, it sounds yeah. like some of the athletes that I have or I've made two of them have used it and they're just going this is so mind-blowing because not only the breathing they feel they get into this other level of of meditation and mindfulness so the breathing has, a, has an impact but they say actually what it's doing for their focus becomes really big so yeah I'll be, be yeah. what, what happens exactly. to come around that mm-hmm. so have you have you found a way to fully trust in your processes, even when results may not be reflecting the work you're putting in? I think we we all experience this. You know you're doing the right thing. You're putting in those processes. You're convinced it's the right thing. The results aren't showing. Talk to me about what happens there. Yeah, um, this is this is makes me laugh because I've definitely struggled with this over the years. Um, I'm way more accepting now of it, but. My, um, my fitness coach, Micah will laugh about this because there's been so many times where he like tries to tell me, um, and this is when I was living up in Boston and he would be like, Oh, just trust the process. Like you have to trust. And I was very much like results oriented being like, why is this not happening? Like not getting the results, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you have to like enjoy the process. And I was like, what does that mean? I hate this. Like screw trusting the process. Like this is so dumb. (laughs) and I would get so angry out of it so angry and it's and I I never really understood it but now I've I've actually like I've started to enjoy kind of all the the learning experience and the process um in general more than just like achieving the results instead of focusing so much like I want to win this tournament I want to get to this ranking it's like okay the process of like getting to that and looking instead of losses at failures, looking at as learning experiences, ways to grow as a person, um, how to get stronger out of it. And so it's reframing that whole mindset and just being a lot more present in the moment instead of focusing so much on the end result Mm -hmm. that you can actually appreciate like the work that goes in to then get to this end result. And that work is not all going to be like great stuff. It's going to be a lot of highs and lows, but you're going to learn so much about yourself and it's going to make you a stronger person, a better squash fighter, like more resilient, like mentally tougher, um, smarter, everything. And that's going to help you to just keep improving and keep building on those blocks to then be able to achieve those like 
numerical goals that you had. Exactly. So, so much more about process driven than results driven. And, and it, look, it's, and you said maybe you heard it when you were younger and you're one of those results. And maybe it's a thing with maturity. Maybe over time you, you get wrapped up in the process and you enjoy that journey initially more so than the results. The results will take care of themselves, but it's, it's a hard sell, isn't it? Because, you know, you are kind of, you, you really want to see the fruits of your labor, but so often it doesn't come, does it? Yeah. And I think too, when you've kind of been through like all the highs and lows, like tough times, and then you finally like do achieve that good result, it makes the win like so much more satisfying and like, you know, more enjoyable. And that's, and you know, a lot of people don't see that. They just see the end results. And so they love to make their assumptions on it. Whereas no one gets to see really what goes on behind the scenes, which is kind of like, what I, what I like to show a little bit, just who I am as a person, I like to keep it hundred percent real. Mm-hmm. And so I like to showcase a little bit of like what goes on behind the scenes. Like, you know, it's not all just like, Hey, I've just won this event. Like there's so many highs and lows on the process and like doubt and positive. And like, you know, you could be working so hard, but like still not achieve those results. But it's just like, how are you going to still get to that place where, you keep pushing through and knowing and like having that faith Mm -hmm. that you are on the right path and what you're doing is good. And, and then just staying with it until one day, like you do achieve those results. Nice. Uh, Such a, such a powerful message there, but this links us really nicely. I think to this, but 2016, obviously probably not one of your most favorite years, your ruptured Achilles. (laughs) out for a year right after this so I you can put uh, clear up the timelines but I'm, I'm curious to know what strategies did you put in place to how to cope with this mentally yeah um so I ruptured it March 10th of 2017 okay. and I was at my highest world ranking of number six and I was very close to cracking the top five I was feeling good playing good having good results leading up and bam like popped Achilles you know, I am out for the next like nine months. And it was almost, it was, it was a shock more than anything of just like, how did this happen to me? Like, I thought I was fit. I was healthy. Like thought I was taking care of my body and, you know, everything just stopped. Like you were on this momentum and everything just kind of stopped. And I think what one, what I kind of accepted too, was that you know, I'm going to be out for an extended period of time. I can't, I'm not going to like, well, I can't play squash. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the first time where no one can force me to play squash because I physically cannot. So I'm going to enjoy life. Okay. I'm going to enjoy life. And I enjoyed life to the fullest. Like I had a blast. It was very unsustainable. I partied so much, um, but I got it all out of my system and I didn't touch a racket for five months oh wow I went I wasn't even I wasn't even bothered I didn't even like had no interest in playing squash I was like I'm having so much fun with my life I was hanging out with my friends going to concerts like eating whatever drinking whatever like (laughs) going on trips everything um and I was living life to the fullest of just like not being a squash player Mm -hmm. and then it got to a point where I was ready to get back. And mentally, I was like, you know, I miss this. I want to get back into playing. 
granted my body was not there yet. And so that's when the tough times came because I was in two different places and I wanted to get back into training all the partying kind of caught up to me. So like physically I wasn't feeling great. So I wanted to like get back into it, Mm -hmm. but my body was just not quite there yet to be able to get to that place. And that's when, and this kind of coincided with when the season started back up again. Mm -hmm. So I was watching all my like peers competing. I wish I was there. My progress had kind of stunted. I was feeling very lost and just like hopeless about like, am I ever, am I going to get back into it? And this was about like the six month mark, six and a half month mark. So that was, that was the toughest time because I was doing my PT up in Boston and they weren't really treating me as a pro athlete. They were kind of just putting me under like the same um, average like PT care as if any, like anybody would do. Um, and at the time I I didn't know that at the time I, I thought like this was just the general process. And I was like checking all the check marks, everything. Um, then when it was time for me to kind of translate onto like squash again and squash court, I was nowhere near, nowhere near where I should be. And I was, and I was stuck because I was like, my PT was up in Boston was like, okay, go do these things with your fitness coach. And my fitness coach was like, well, what's your PT saying? And I was in the middle and I was like, I don't know what to do. I was like, I can't be the one to dictate this. Like I need someone to take control who knows what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I actually had to move down to Philly um, for five weeks and work with this um, PT guy, Joe Zaret, who has worked with squash players, worked with professional athletes and had the whole PT and gym in one in his building. And so I would go, I would spend, go five days a week for five weeks with him. And we would do the PT, we would do the fitness training, we would do then the recovery afterwards. And I was, and that was kind of my entire life. And he brought me back. And so when I, when I found him, like, mentally that was like a weight lifted off of my shoulder it was that and also I had it in my mind too I wanted to come back for the um 2017 world champs that was in Manchester in December Mm -hmm. and so this was when I started like working with Joe's October time (laughs) and so September was the toughest time I was starting to get like anxiety attacks and like panic attacks that just like I would be fine. And then all of a sudden, like, I, I just couldn't breathe. And I just feel like everything is like closing in on me. Um, and I just start like crying. Um, and like my parent, my family would be like, what's wrong. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, was that unexpected? Those, those just sudden waves of things coming. Yeah. It would be totally unexpected. (laughs) And it would be because like, I was just like, I, I didn't know what to do. And I would just felt so lost. Um, and I didn't know my, my, I was struggling a lot with just the progress and I wasn't like happy with how I like my body or anything. And, and my lack of just ability to keep improving my, and the progress stunting and everything. And so all of that kind of like came over me and it was, it was tough. It was tough to deal with. It was very just 
a, like I was really depressed and everything. It was, did, it did was really a good, a good support system in place. I had, I had a great support system. Um, and so they helped me out a ton and also just the acceptance too, that like, you know, it's okay if I'm not going to be ready for Manchester, the world champs in Manchester. Like I've been out for nine months. I was like, what's another month or two going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not a failure that I, I can't reach what I said. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once I kind of accepted that, that it's okay, a huge wave of relief came over me. Like I felt like a weight was lifted off of my shoulders and then I could go back to enjoying the process of getting better again instead of feeling like there's this ticking time bomb going down or like the clock is running down and I'm like not there yet and so I was starting to panic over the fact like I wasn't going to be ready for the world champs in December yeah wow Mm-hmm. That's quite uh, a journey. Well, thank you, thank you for taking us through that. And again, <laughs> contrasting journey. First five months sounds uh, sounds a whole bunch. Yeah, of- it was it was great. It was great. It was great until it wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Listen, I've got a couple more questions. You have been yeah. generous with your time. I have been really greedy, so I do apologize about that. Oh, no worries at all. I'll buy you some beers if we could. Uh, we could go to a pub <laughs> with this lockdown. But so, where do you think you may need to improve mentally at at this at this point in your career? Yeah. Um, I think it's handling the big moments a little bit better, um, in matches. Um, that's one of just, and I think that comes with the experience too. And, um, and Mike, Mike, uh, this is another like Mike way ism type thing where it's, um, when you are in those big moments, it's remain the same. Mm -hmm. Like, what's been working, continue doing that. Like just because you're up now doesn't mean, or you're nine on the fifth, like don't change things all of a sudden, don't change what's been working. Mm. Um, How hard is that to do though in the moment, eh? (laughs) Exactly, yeah, you just wanna go, it's nine all and you're like, okay, let me just smash everything, run and hit the ball. (laughs) Um, But it's handling those big moments well. it sounds like, sounds like just on from my distant perspective here, you, you're putting a, a bunch of really strong things in place, looking back at the journey you've been on and, and all the lessons and, and you saying failure is feedback. You've cultivated that looking at what you do now with journaling and mindset and mindfulness, you know, again, we can't predict the future and sport is unpredictable, but yeah, it sounds like you're putting a whole bunch of really interesting things in place to be able to handle that. Are you feeling that level of confidence as well? Yeah, absolutely. I feel um, like I'm in a very good place with who I am as a person. I I think I've like found my authentic self um, that I'm able to express like freely as a person, but also on court too. Um, And I stopped caring really about what other people think. Um, I know I'm not going to please everybody. I know that there's going to be people that um love it or hate it um like or dislike and that's on them and that's okay um but at the end of the day like I'm very happy with who I am I'm happy with kind of the journey that I've been on the lessons I've learned the highs and lows um and I'm just I'm excited to get on court and be able to express that so I'm looking forward to this year 
Yeah, she's and and yeah, me for one, and a whole bunch of other people can't wait. So yeah, it's going to be cool to see you back on. But listen, in closing, we've covered I think so many amazing topics and factors, and taken so many deep dives into the mental approach. But is there anything you think we might not have touched on that you think would be good to leave the listeners to think about? Oof, gosh, I mean, is there anything we didn't touch on? I or feel like reinforce yeah. reinforce some of your 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 main messages uh, within within what we talked about, possibly. Yeah, I, gosh, if I were to like tell myself 10 years ago, any advice, um, I think one of it is to definitely like um, have a bit more, the acceptance is a big part, um, but also it is to enjoy the process a lot more. Um, you know, I kind of, I grew up where I never felt that unconditional love. I felt it was a, a bit conditional based on my results. So I was very results oriented where sometimes I, I kind of wish that if I had a bit more unconditional love where regardless of how I did, I was taught, you know, um, my parents like, felt the same way about me, regardless of my result. And they, all they instilled in me is like, go in there, like, try your best, give your best effort. And regardless of win or lose, like, we're going to love you no matter what. Um, whereas for me, it felt if I won, I got a little bit, I got more praise, more love, everything, everything was good in the household, all of that. We were all happy. PG Keen, Cheery, all of that. And if it was negative, I was like, oh my God, this four hour drive home is going to be miserable. Mm -hmm. And then it's like next day, tough training, next day, tough training. And everything's just going to be a little bit tougher. Whereas sometimes I like, I, I'm genuinely curious to see if I could have been a little bit different process oriented if that upbringing was different um and a little bit more focused on my effort mm -hmm. instead of my results uh, yeah yeah what a, but, what, a, what a powerful message to to finish on and it just my last thought on that uh carol dwick talking about mindsets it's, it's praise the process not not the talent and like yeah. that for me is such a huge message that i'm trying to get across and you you said it in such a, a great way and expressing it through your stories and your journeys and um, listen for me this has been an absolute delight and i hope you felt the same because it's, it's i loved it i love this stuff i could keep talking all day <laughs> amazing well listen i think it gives us an excuse to kind of jump back on this platform in the future at some point and and maybe dissect it more in a, in a year or so and see where it's all at but amanda sobe you've been an absolute treat thank you so much for your time today thank you so much for having me appreciate it presence process persistence the essence of squash mind hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.